Welcome back to episode five of Learning the Last Dance with Ricky Diefenbach and me. You can call me Wheels, Greg, the Pan, Cardigan Kid, whatever you want. I'm here too. This is our deep dive into the phenomenon, Ricky, that is the last dance that appears and debuts two episodes on Sunday in the United States and the rest of the world on Netflix the following Monday. It is sweeping the nation. And I know this. Because when I'm on Twitter on Sunday nights, the Americans are going crazy. And the stats just came out that ESPN primetime, get this, is up over 11% this period last year. The big difference? There's no sports. There's no sports. (laughs) Which lets you know that the last dance is a big old phenomenon. Ricky, what did you think overall about episode five? Episode five was, it was good. It, it, uh, it touched on some more of the stuff that I remember, like the 92 series against, against Portland that came up. Uh, and then it's, you know, it opens with the, uh, the, you know, in remembrance of Kobe and, and some interviews, <clears throat> excuse me, interviews with Kobe Bryant, who of course has passed away this, uh, January. And, uh, so just amazing to see those two go at it. And then I get just more of this stuff that I remember as a kid. Um, whereas more of his earlier stuff in the eighties that they've gone through was stuff I didn't ever remember happening, but I remember all the highlights, which is great for this podcast because we want those stories. But before we jump into it, Ricky, what did you think about the storytelling in this episode? Because a lot of people were criticizing the fact that this timeline is going 98, 92, 93, 98, 97. It's all over the map. I personally didn't mind it. I can keep up, but I understand the complaints. I this was the first episode where I like I could feel it being a little bit confusing. I, I know I've seen people making the comment throughout the first four episodes that they were getting confused, but for the most part, they have that graphic that they have the timeline and it's scaling back and, and forth. But there's sometimes that they're not doing that. But I think I don't think it's bothered me as much because I I can pick up in five seconds, which era they're talking about it, right? There's kind of three, three timelines going on current, the first run of the championships in the early nineties. And then early in the his beginning of his career in the eighties. But I mean, I think you can pick it up pretty easy, well, especially I'm, if you can know what they look like. Because my notes said the 92 all-star game and you corrected me and said, no, uh, that's the 98 all-star game. And you know that because Kobe Bryant is in it. So let's start there. Kobe Bryant passes away with his daughter and I think it was six or seven other people in a tragic helicopter accident back in February of what might go down as one of the worst years in human history thus far, 2020. Uh, So they had a tribute to him at the beginning of this episode and there was a Kobe Bryant part. And initially I thought that this was going to be rammed in, but as it turns out, it wasn't. They actually had filmed this before, made it made it up, and then actually went back and revisited the footage to see if it was appropriate post-Kobe Bryant. And they said it was perfect. So they were very happy with how this tribute went. What did you learn in this? Honestly, I didn't learn a lot. This is uh, most of the stuff I knew already as a basketball player. I have very vivid memories of the 98 uh, All-Star game. I was in high school. Everybody loved Kobe Bryant. He was this high school kid who came up. No, you know he he got he drafted like 13th or something like that. It wasn't it wasn't that high. Um, 
and he was just unbelievable. And you're thinking he is like a 15 year old. This kid's only three or four years older than me. And he was tearing up the all-star game. I can't believe they didn't bring this up. He was, he was the leading scorer of the all-star game going into the third quarter and they didn't play him at all. What? They didn't play him at all. They let all the old guys play. And then Jordan goes off and scores a bunch of points in the fourth quarter and wins the MVP. And no way you have to tell me that story. Yes. So I was like screaming at the TV to put Kobe back in uh, and they wouldn't do it. And they left him out and let the older guys play. And of course, Jordan plays like Jordan and ends up as a leading scorer in the game and uh, wins the MVP. But so this yeah. is a politics thing then. Is that yeah. what it was back then? Because Kobe Bryant was known for having a kind of a narcissistic attitude when he was early on into the league. Well, yeah, and, and they go into that. They show Jordan and the Eastern Conference All-Stars talking. And Jordan's like, yeah, that Lakers kid is going to make this like a one-on-one battle. And he, you know, he takes whatever he wants. He's not going to really play team ball. And they talk about how he has that, like, I call it like a Brett Favre mentality where he's, you know, you miss four shots in a row. You're screaming for the ball because you think you're going to make the fifth. And, you know, Jordan kind of makes fun of him for that. But Jordan was the same way. Like the, some of these games that go into in, in these episodes, you're like, oh yeah, Jordan was, you know, eight for 22 or whatever. And Kobe famously was six to 24 in his last championship and still won the MVP. I'm still upset about that one, but uh, he, sorry, six for twenty-four. How for, bad was everyone else? Oh, exactly, six for twenty-four, and it's one of those where no one else. Was, they probably could have gone to Paul Gasol, but it was. I remember being upset. That was where I mean, that's basically a decade later than this, and goes from where I loved Kobe because he was this young player to a player I didn't really ever like afterwards. But you still have to respect how amazing he was and how he you can totally see the resemblance in the game between him his game and Jordan's game and it kind of goes into that where you know he's talking about how he modeled his game after Jordan and without Michael there's no way he has the five championships and you what know. a powerful statement oh, man to say if I don't get that mentorship from Jordan I don't win five which is wild and I mean this is end of his career Kobe Bryant from and for my research this is a guy who had lightened up a little bit and was a bit more approachable and, and humble in many ways. Jordan, if you ever need anything from me, give me a call. Almost like Jordan is saying, cool, man, I'm going to pass the baton to the next one in the same way where Magic Johnson and Larry Bird recognize that they're passing the baton to Michael Jordan. Absolutely. And he's seeing not only the talent, but he's seeing that ferocious competitive drive that We've talked about, you know, maybe it's too ferocious at times, but as far as making you a better basketball player, those are the two guys that, you know, it seems like winning a basketball game is more important than to them than anybody else ever. It seems like it. And what I didn't get about this all-star game, Larry Bird at this point is a coach in 98. He's giving them tips on what to do out there. My understanding of an all-star game is you just let the pros have fun and do whatever they want. That You don't pull up a strategy and say, hey, we're going to bust out the triangle on this one. But there's Larry Bird saying, hey, we're here. We might as well win. Yeah. And it was – it was I would you know liken it more to the NHL all-star game back there where you can, you can still kind of try, but you kind of let it go, and then you try kind of at the end. Um, it got really bad 
I, you know, maybe I'm just going to, I'm just going to make up a stat here and say that, you know, when Vince Carter starts doing all these crazy dunks and when you can start doing these insane dunks, you're basically doing dunk contest dunks in the middle of the all-star game and everyone's just letting you do it. It kind of got to that point where it was, no one was even playing at all. It was just, you know, all right, you try dunk, then I'll try dunk and then I'll try a super deep three pointer and you do that. Uh, and then they made the change this year that uh, really, really worked out well. And part of that I think was people knew they were playing in the memory of Kobe um, to, you know, show a little more competitiveness in the all-star game. And it was an absolute treat and everyone's this, looking forward to the next one. This year's all-star game in the NBA absolutely shattered my reality when it comes to all-star games, watching the best players on the planet, lay it out on the line. I remember Kyle Lowry arguing about foul calls <laughs> in the all-star game, which is very Kyle Lowry to do. But that to me, if that was the Kobe, the Jordan tribute game, like that is special. I mean, it was obviously the Kobe game, but that mindset, that Mamba mentality, give me yeah. that 24 7, please. I will watch every single NBA game ever if that's the way it played. Absolutely. Um, the next thing they go into, and I love this just from a marketing standpoint, is I'm going to call it Shoe Dog because of Nike founder. I forget his name right now. Something Knight. I think it's Phil. Phil. Phil, Phil Knight. Is, have you read that book? It I have. Amazing. It was it was amazing to realize Nike came from nothing. The risk involved from the business sense of them just doubling and, and finding their way to get money from banks and flying to Japan to try and test out the product and the waffle and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. What I didn't know in this story, this is obviously coming into the NBA before Nike is a thing. That in, in the documentary, they referenced the fact that there's still a track shoe. Yeah. Is Converse, and maybe you can speak to this, Ricky. Converse? I, I never remember Converse being a big deal. And as a matter of fact, in this documentary, they have a bunch of the athletes representing this Converse. I think it's the weapon, as they call yep. it. I, I may have had that shoe or someone in my family had that shoe. I had no idea it was a thing. Like Converse to me has always been kind of like the, the frumpy, I don't really understand the history of this. This is a lesson to me, this whole thing. Well, you know that. The Converse Chuck Taylor. That's about that. Yeah. Outside of the right? Chuck Taylor, that's it. So if you look at any of the old footage from basketball, everyone was playing in Chuck Taylor's. That was a basketball shoe, which is ridiculous to think about because that is the most uncomfortable shoe to ever try and do any yeah, physical there's activity. Nothing there. It's it like the, it's like the opposite of a Nike shock. Yeah. Right. Like it's just <laughs> you get some rubber and that's about it. Some rubber and some canvas. Right. So, yeah. So they have Nike coming in here and well, amazing that Jordan didn't even want to take the meeting with Nike. He was ready to go with Adidas. And his mom's like, Michael, these guys are willing to you know, give you money. You might as well go listen to what they have to say. And so he goes there with his dad. Like just like he's 20. One 22-year-old guy is like, all right, I better take my dad to my business meeting with me. And they leave the, the meeting, and his dad's like, well, if you don't take that deal, you're an idiot. Like, that's the best one. And to, but, and they offered hit, him like $250,000 for a, a rookie, which was yeah. insane money at the time, from a shoe company who had, well, track shoes, really. Right. 
and versus the other side of it, which is you've got the rest of the NBA wearing Converse, and I'm sure making fun of Michael Jordan at this point. Right, just come, kind of coming out of nowhere, this upstart brand. You've kind of seen it with Under Armour tied their uh, tied their wagon to Steph Curry, and that's worked out really well for them. And I'm pretty sure it was again Vince Carter who wore a pair of and ones in the dunk contest. And there's a reason I wore and ones in grade 12. It was because of, wow. because of that. So, and they looked the coolest. They were cheap and horribly made, but they look cool. <laughs> so. I remember and one shoes in high school, actually junior high, high school, all the basketball stars. And I use that word flippantly. Uh, were wearing them. They loved them. And I just never understood high priced basketball shoes. But again, this is all brand new to me. So, Jordan signs with Nike. He now owes his mom a lot of money for her getting him into this meeting. The deal goes, according to Michael's agent, Nike was expecting or hoping to get $3 million after the first or the first four years, after year four of this deal. They wanted to make yeah. $3 million bucks. And lo and behold, you just signed one of the biggest stars on the planet. They made $126 million after year one. In year one. That number blew my mind. That was one where I paused the show and yelled at my wife, Hey, Jess, you'll never believe this. And <laughs> what did she, she say? She, you're just like, what? Like, didn't, again, just like doesn't understand. Like, those numbers are insane to think about, especially 35 years ago when we're, we can talk about some of this. There was no, like, sneakerhead culture. There was no shoe collecting culture then. It was you bought a pair of shoes to play basketball in and that was about it. And you never, you weren't wearing basketball shoes on the street as everyday shoes, but the Jordan one has created that and continues to do that to this day. Did you ever own a pair of Jordans? I did. I had, it was grade 10 and I made the senior basketball team. Unlike Michael Jordan, I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> Congratulations. And we finally, like my dad, I would pretty much finally stop growing. So my parents were willing to fork out the, I think it was over $200 for a pair wow. of Jordans. Yeah. And they were awesome. And uh, did they make yeah, they you were a better basketball player? A hundred percent. Okay. According to Spike Lee, right? It's all about the yeah. shoes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so that was, so to tie, kind of tie it all together is we had like a motto for the year and it was pre pre for prefontaine steve prefontaine who was like the first major athlete to use the nike track shoes so that was kind of tied it all tied it all together the nike this has been your shoe history with ricky Diefenbach. <laughs> it makes me laugh because sneakerhead culture to your point that is a part of the fabric of our society this urban culture this, the sneakerheads, like we know sneakerheads. I know people that collect Jordans and in, in these shoes and never wear them or wear them once. And like it's their investment in many ways, Ricky. Right. Like this, if you ever felt, I think in episode two, we talked about Scottie Pippen making more money than Jordan throughout his basketball career when all was said and done by like $20 million. Right. The, the Jordan, Air Jordan brand is why you should never feel sorry for Michael Jordan. Because no. this guy has made, I would push, I would push over the course of his career. I don't know what his deal is, but if he hasn't taken a billion dollars from Nike in all this, then he's been underpaid. 
it's got to be it's got to be over a billion. I'm pretty sure he's like a certified billionaire, um, but it's just crazy. And they again, we kind of go back to uh, to episode one where I was laughing about how my son knows who Michael Jordan is and knows Air Jordans, and didn't like put it together that Jordan and Air Jordan was like the same thing, right? So. They have, and they they talk about that is his uh, his old agent again, you know, making himself sound good. So believe what you want, but Nike has a new shoe called the Air Nike Air coming out, and he goes, "Well, make it the Air Jordan," because he's he jumps high and he's in the air all the time. Oh man, if that's a true story, brilliance! Like that, brilliance. that agent would tell that story to every single person he knows. You know that'd be the case. You know, you know I can yeah. have the Air Jordan brand. Of course you did. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, uh, crazy. And like I remember people calling him just, they, like, they would just call him Air Jordan. They wouldn't call him Michael Jordan or it was just Air Jordan. Air, not even Jordan. Like they always included the Air. Like that was just, it's like Magic Johnson. It became his nickname that just synonymous with Michael Jordan. And he really does float. I love the quote from Jordan about how he endorses the shoe. My game did all my talk and it was my original endorsement. I thought, you know what? In many ways, I will give that to you. Another thing that I didn't know was this whole thing about Spike Lee. Like I know Spike Lee because I think he just won his first ever Oscar a few years ago with Samuel L. Jackson. They won something. Spike Lee won. I know he won an Oscar because he lost his mind about it. But then he's like the ultimate Knicks fan. And you see this history of Spike Lee and Jordan and the commercials. And it was actually really cool to see them interacting on the court and Jordan making fun of him and him taking shots back. Like, this is 30 years ago. This is still going on. And Spike Lee, up until this season when he quit the Knicks, nothing's changed. Yeah. Oh, no. And and then you get into – you'll have to look up – as part of your you know your basketball history one-on-one, you're going to have to look up Reggie Miller and Spike Lee because as much as Jordan – they showed Jordan trash-talking with Spike – Reggie Miller was the true instigator of those, of those epic uh, Spike Lee battles. It's amazing. To yes, see some of that please. stuff. Please. Uh, while we're on it, uh, oh, be like Mike will be in the Olympics. We'll talk about that. Okay, so ninety-two championship run, Ricky. You remember this championship run? Walk us through your memory of of what took place. So I remember thinking it was funny that the Pistons had won two championships in a row and now the bulls are going for two championships in a row and they played the same teams they played they beat the lakers first and then they beat the portland trailblazers second and this talks i think they go into this clyde drexler um you know rivalry that the two had where they talk about again. You go late '90s or, or sorry, late '80s, early '90s. You have this team in Portland. How much, you know? We I never got to see basketball very often here, and then you have a team out in Portland. How much, um, how much publicity is this guy going to get, right? And so Jordan, you know, hears this that there's this good player out here, and everyone thinks he's just as good as Jordan, and he takes that very very personally and proceeds to you know just basically to destroy the portland trailblazers portland trailblazers on the way to their second straight championship it's wild 
So Clyde Drexler to me is this a relatively brand new name. I come up and this is the thing about basketball. There's so many good basketball players that don't get their due because of people like Bird and Jordan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And, and I could go on, but Clyde, Clyde Drexler is one of these guys. I had no idea. And you have a note here that Portland didn't draft Jordan because he plays the same position as, as Clyde Drexler. And it's like, that is an insane thought for that franchise to look back on and go, you know, we passed on arguably the greatest player of all time because we like Clyde. Right. But Clyde, to his credit, three-time He's lost twice in the NBA Finals, where he was the best player. And he won an NBA championship in 95, where he was the second best player behind uh, Akeem Olajuwon. So he had a, an amazing career. He's a top 50 all-time NBA player. But would Portland have rather had Michael Jordan? I, I guess so. <laughs> You'd have to think so. I was thinking about like Mike Jordan and... You see it in this documentary. This guy's a psycho. This guy is, well, I mean, you, you know this with elite athletes, an ultimate competitor. And I thought, Ricky, if I took Jordan's frame and his physique and his, all of his talents and I gave that to almost anyone else on the planet, they couldn't replicate what Jordan did because they're missing this fire inside. Uh, it might, it was, Magic Johnson goes on later to talk about how even in – a game of cards or gambling, like Michael Jordan wanted to cream you. Like he wanted to step on your neck and beat you that bad. And I'm like, this is, this is this guy's secret weapon. Yes, he's good, but he's just like on another level when it comes to his ability to want to kill you. And it comes out with Clyde Drexler. This guy's saying like, okay, watch me. If you think he's as good as I am, I'm going to come out here and shoot threes, which weren't even a thing back then for the most part. Right? No, like, Jordan barely shot threes as it was, and he didn't didn't shoot particularly well. He's kind of low 30s percentage, where in like today's day and age, like if you shot, if you shoot under 35%, you're considered a terrible three point shooter. Mm -hmm. Right? The good guys are shooting, you know, mid, low low to mid 40s um, from three. So Jordan, not known as a three point shooter at all. And like, this is, again, one of the most classic, iconic Jordan games of all time. He just starts hitting three after three after three, sets the finals record for three-pointers, which, again, he's not even a three-point shooter. But and hold on. Which was okay. four? It was at four was the NBA Finals <laughs> threes record? That was a slap in the face to go, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't I watch Steph Curry do that? In you know 2015, in 10 minutes, yeah, like the game has <laughs> changed drastically. Sorry, I, I just wanted to put that in there. Yeah, so it was it was actually more than that. They, it was it was six. He hit six and a half. So it was they just said he had set, but he did set the record with four. Is what is what happened? So, yeah, it's so but, ridiculous. But again, for a guy to hit six, for, for anybody to even hit six threes and a half now is crazy. But then to like continue to do it, it was just by this guy who doesn't shoot at all back then. It's just out of the world. And then the infamous shrug, right? So I always thought he was looking at um, Robinson, the guy who was defending him, as he goes by and just kind of shrugs like, sorry, Cliff, like this is what I'm feeling it today. But then Magic Johnson's saying the story like he thought he was looking at him. 
mm-hmm. but uh, it was just, uh, it just, well, again, one of those things like the 13 straight field goals the year before in the finals where you just go, you just, you know, one or two more steps in that all time historic basketball player ranking where adding these notches to your belt. There was a funny shot of a fat lady singing after they won the championship, which I thought was appropriate. We're like, oh, yeah, I guess the fat lady has sung. So they won number two in this. There was a moment, though, which I thought was interesting by the directors and the editors of this documentary about Jerry Krause talking about the organization being all times. No, the athletes are good. The team is great. But this organization is all time. This is back in right. 1992. And you'll remember in episode one slash two, the narrative is Jerry Krause has destroyed this organization. With that in mind, and I can't tell on your perspective on this, did you take the same thing out of it? Was Jerry Krause just trying to give some credit to the organization? Or was he trying to take some credit from the players? I think he was trying to take some credit from the players. And I think we're going to see that as we get into the Olympics and then even in episode six, um, if, you know, there's some, you know, maybe when they call it casual racism or, you know, uh, where it seems like he's trying to take credit away from the majority black basketball players and give more credit to the predominantly white management and organization. Interesting. So, I mean, we'll see it. He got he absolutely in love with Tony Kukoc, who was this young, unknown player from Croatia. Yeah, let's go there. That was in the Olympics. So that's the next thing, okay? To tell us about Kukoc. So Kukoc ended up having an amazing career, but he gets drafted kind of out of nowhere. I think it's in 92 um, by the Bulls. And it's right before the Olympics. And also when they're going back and forth trying to sign – Scotty Pippen, as we bring it back together from from episode two here, where you know they're debating and going back and forth with Pippen about how much money he's going to get, and this is where he signs his end up. He ends up signing his one year or seven year, eighteen million dollar contract. But you have the GM instead of trying to sign the second most important player on your team after you've won a second championship, he's flying over to Europe to watch some young unknown teenager i think he was probably 18 or 19 at the time they drafted him and he looked really good but again this is before there was very very few uh europeans in the league and lo and behold here comes the 92 olympics nba players get to play in it so you have this dream team as they called it of the best basketball players in the league sans isaiah thomas which we can talk about later but they end up playing Croatia twice with led by Tony Kukoc. They can't even pronounce his name properly. <laughs> as and, uh, and Jordan and Pippen bring it upon themselves to basically make an example out of this young kid in, in like 30 point blowouts. They're just like Kukoc doesn't get to win. He doesn't get to do anything. Nobody guards him except, you know, Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen. And you can see him getting frustrated. But to his credit, he does come back and play better in the final, even though, they again, they lose by 35 points. They still lose by 30. It (laughs) it blew my mind, though, Ricky, to think about an executive like Jerry Krause, who I just discovered today had passed away. I had no idea that he had passed away and that he won't be able to defend himself in this documentary, which is terrible. But 
he just seems so focused on this guy no one had heard of. And if you're watching your team who has just won two or one, and this will be the second, I guess, yeah. going on to win their second NBA championship, the last thing you want to do is screw that up. Um, what blew my mind, too, was Kukoc saying that he can make millions more playing in Europe than he can in the NBA at that point. I was like, wow. It's not very often you find out it's more lucrative to play in, in Europe, in Yugoslavia, which is no longer a nation at this, at this point in, in world history, uh, than the NBA. Because you just think that, oh, yeah, right, the NBA was just throwing cash at people. But that's not necessarily the case. No. And, and when you think – this is right in the midst of – Scotty, again, one of the best players in the league, signing for less than $2 million a year. You have to think there's lots of people making, you know, much less than half a million dollars a year. And they don't really go into it, but like this, they kind of say it a little bit, but this exposure of basketball of the 92 Dream Team in the Olympics is really part of what has catapulted the NBA into this global phenomenon. And and that's part of the reason that Scotty became so underpaid and by the late nineties is you have this huge growing fandom all around the world. So you're having more and more money come into the NBA, which is allowing their uh their players to sign for more and more money. But if you of course if you're already under contract, well you don't get to just bump up every year. There's no yeah, inflation. You get none of that. <laughs> you get none of that. And uh, and I thought it was interesting because there's this discussion right now for our audience where the NHL is considering going to the Olympics. Well, this is the precipice. Like this is the, the example of why they would want to go to the Olympics. The, the 92 dream team and what happened with that sport is the NHL is going, yeah, we should consider doing that in China. The, the next winter Olympics is in China. Right. And so that is what they're wrestling with, because if you can have that and the NHL is the number four sport in, in terms of revenue in America, you would want that kind of impact. I just looping back to, to Jerry Krause. I cannot believe, though, back in '92 that this guy is this lost on the chemistry within his team. Like to have Jordan and Pippen both say, "Who's this guy that Krause is spending time with that he's in love with and, and focusing on?" Cool. Give him to us. We're gonna make sure that he doesn't do anything. Like it was so far gone that me learning in episode one that Phil Jackson isn't coming back next year uh, in 98, that that is, that's six years after that it was starting to boil over. Crazy. Absolutely oh. crazy. It's so crazy. And you can see, so at some point, I mean, this is where he's getting this kind of chip on his shoulder where he's feeling disrespected. And I mean, he has this team, they have just taken this team, they went Eastern Conference Final, lost in seven games, and then they go NBA Championship, NBA Championship, and everyone's going to be glorifying Michael Jordan. And I'm guessing he's some resentment for not talking about, you know, all the all the trades and moves that Kraus made, which played a huge part in it. Get over yourself. While we're halfway through the Olympics, I want to bring up fashion that time of the show where Ricky and I point out to you throughout this episode what to look for in bad fashion. Ricky, I'll be honest with you. I was looking hard, but I kind of liked what I was seeing. The only thing I could kind of come up with was Michael Jordan throughout a lot of this episode is wearing a neon zigzag shorts 
holo combo. It looks like a onesie, to be honest. But I kind of liked it. I kind of liked the way it looked and thought, you know what? I might wear that nowadays. I would stand out, but it's not necessarily terrible. There's a lot of guys that are wearing Zubaz pants again. So, you know, it's kind of in that ballpark. I, I did notice uh, some of the Olympic attire seemed like they thought of every possible graphic they could, swallowed them, and then puked them up on the shirt. There were just, there wasn't an inch of fabric that didn't have a graphic on it. And there's just so not my style. It's kind of a crazy Ed Hardy shirt 20 years before Ed Hardy. <laughs> well, that's a good example. Yeah, it's, it's all about the brand, Ricky. Put my logo on it. People will notice my logo. It, you, you even see some of that nowadays where, where companies just give you free swag and like, hey, wear my logo. It's going to change things. Like, no, it's not how it works, guys. But that being said, this is the best episode yet for fashion. We, we can agree on that. Absolutely. There's still some some bad Jordan suits, but that's I think we're kind of becoming uh, immune to that. Yeah, we're desensitized you know, to the suits at this point. Oh man. Um, but how about speaking of uh, of labels and whatnot? How about Jordan purposefully wearing the American flag over his shoulder so you couldn't see the brilliant. Reebok? Brilliant. Right, because that's brilliant. That's that's a, a huge deal even nowadays where shoe companies sign stars and you've got in the Olympics is a big deal because there's just so much money involved in the Olympics when it comes to endorsements. So I was, I didn't know what he did. I just knew like, Oh yeah. Okay. If Reebok sponsors the team, this is going to be hard for him to get out of in a way that makes sense. And now obviously based on some of the reporting that was done there, this was a common, a known thing that Jordan wasn't happy about the Reebok logo, but the way he did it with the flag was you couldn't knock him for it. You couldn't no. say like, "Oh, you're a bad, you're a bad American." Like, no, 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 you're doing your job, and you've got me. You win this one, and I cannot complain because what am I going to complain about? You being patriotic about the United States of America. And I don't know for sure. I should have re- researched this, but I would, I would definitely assume by '92, Jordan has definitely got ownership stake in Nike and. I don't think they had split off the Jordan brand yet into its own thing, but they, uh, he definitely was making sure he was representing Nike because he had a financial interest in that other than just being sponsored. And around this time, be like Mike and the whole Jordan phenomenon comes out, be like Mike, one of his amazing legacies with Gatorade, of course. Did you know this Ricky, that initially it wasn't, about be like Mike. It, that wasn't what they had intended. What they had intended was a song from the Jungle Book. I want to be like oh. you was what they uh-huh. had proposed. And they wanted to kind of tie it in with the Jungle Book, which of course was popular at that time. Disney wanted, I think, $320,000, $350,000 to license the song for this ad campaign. And the ad agency said, well, forget it. We'll just figure our own thing out. They come back be like Mike, boom, everything has changed. There's some advertising history for you in that one. Amazing. I don't know if we'll get to see it, but my favorite Jordan commercial is still the one he does with uh, with Larry Bird. Have you ever seen that? Shooting for Big Macs. Oh, I think like I have classic, seen that before. Classic. I yeah. hope it comes up. Uh, before we Saturday, go on... Saturday morning, Saturday morning cartoon staple. Yeah, that's probably where I saw it, watching Cadillacs <laughs> and Dinosaurs or Samurai Pizza oh, yeah. Cats. Uh, 
I want to go to practice at the Olympics for this this dream team. You've got 12 players on this team, 11 of them are Hall of Famers. And when I look at this team now, I go, this doesn't make any sense how good this team is. But we're missing Isaiah Thomas, who we just saw in the last couple episodes. He's one of the best players on the planet. He's a two-time champion. But Jordan claims that it wasn't up to him to take Isaiah off the team. He quotes an interview with some one of the executives for the team to say that they said Isaiah Thomas isn't going to be on the, on the team. Do you buy that? No. Because <laughs> like, Mike Wilbon comes out and says that it wasn't just Jordan. Isaiah Thomas had beefs with so many players in the league. Well, I think that's part of it, right? And and maybe maybe he didn't specifically say. I am not playing if Isaiah Thomas is on the team, but it was a known sentiment. And he even says he's asking, well, who else is playing? And to me, it reminded me of an episode of Survivor where everyone's trying to figure out who's getting voted off and nobody wants to say a name for fear that they're going to be the one got got pinned as bringing up that person's name. So it's, I didn't say it and he didn't say it and he didn't say it, but we all looked around and we knew who we meant. So yeah, if I had to guess, this is Jordan getting away with saying, I didn't say it, but he mm-hmm. meant it, and he got what he wanted out of it. Yep. And, and at the end of the day, like Michael talks about Harmony, at the end of the day, they won. They crushed, they won. So does Isaiah need to be on that team? No. Like, who cares? It's old. It's ancient history now because they won. Had they lost, we're still talking about it. Yeah, but they won true. easily. Easily. Uh, but Michael talks about practices in here, and the practices of the Olympic team is a big deal because you see Magic Johnson come out and start trash-talking people, which I had no idea he was a good trash-talker. But I loved oh, yeah. listening to it. And, of course, it kind of gets into this theme of alpha males. And I thought, oh, my goodness. This is a team full of alpha males trying to figure out who is the alpha male here. And it tells the story about Magic Johnson's trash-talking lights up Jordan. And, of course, it all comes out. And They love practices, though. Oh, and, and you, you apparently did too when you were in high school. Yeah, like I, I always, I just loved playing basketball whenever I could. But going, getting to play the All Star team practice, I had. We only had one practice. It was only about I don't even know if it was an hour and a half. And my coach literally dragged me out of the gym because I was like, I don't want to leave. This is so much fun getting to play with basketball players who are as good or as better than you coming from a team where I was, you know, I was clearly the best player on the team, but not that I was that good. It's just, we weren't very good, (laughs) but to get, to get to play, to go from playing on a two-time championship team with guys like Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and legendary players to moving up to playing with like the all-star games are pretty good, but then you go to the dream team where it is the 11 best basketball players, probably on the planet at that time. I don't know. There wasn't very many other great players in any other countries at that time. And you get to practice with these guys and just, just, it's almost like you're you're speaking a different language that nobody else except those 11 people would understand. And when you go from kind of speaking your own language to having all these other people understand you, it's just opens your mind to the possibilities of how beautiful a game basketball can be played. And when it works, when everyone has fun, like you see the examples of, Magic Johnson and, and Jordan gambling. Again, another theme throughout this entire <laughs> thing is, is Jordan gambling. But if these guys are having a great time, and, and Michael talks about harmony, 
this would be a beautiful thing to watch in a really special moment. Players kind of put the the competitor this out. And I, I just wish I could watch it live again, even if the games weren't close. Just the idea of, well, I remember the 2010 Olympics or even the 2002 hockey gold medal game. Like when you see the best players on the planet that you follow working together for a common goal, it's, it's special. Absolutely. Right? It's, it's, it's like the difference between watching, you know, the Regina Pats play versus Team Canada, the World Juniors. You just see, all right, there's one good player on this team. And now there's this whole team is made up of players that good. And it's so awesome to see and so much fun to when you actually get to be a part of that. I, I, I mean, I look forward to it. I'm a huge proponent of or supporter of uh, the best players at the Olympics, not just amateur sports, but of course, money gets in the way of that. Near the end of this documentary or this episode, Ricky, it starts to get into Michael Jordan and his persona. And you'll obviously be more aware of what this was like and what this was about more than I was. But it starts to kind of chisel away at the fact that Michael Jordan had no flaws in the, in the public eye, that he was this perfect figure that couldn't step out of line, couldn't make a mistake, and really never did make a mistake. Well, maybe not. We don't really know. This is, again, back, there's no Twitter, there's no Instagram, there's no... Uh, there's no cell phone cameras, so you don't really know. And this is back when we've talked about you have the local media that is traveling back and forth on the team planes. And you, you've heard stories of them always protecting the guys. You know, even someone like Muhammad Ali, some of the stories you hear about him that never really made it out in the public or legendary, you know, horrible people like Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb that they didn't write stories about the terrible things they were doing in the the gambling and the womanizing and whatnot, because this, these guys were their meal tickets and they wanted to protect them. And now we live in, you know, TMZ 24 seven news channels where nobody's protecting anybody. <laughs> it's, uh, totally. If you're at a strip club, you know, James Harden is famous for going to strip clubs, which is completely legal. Well, pretty much everywhere except Saskatchewan, but you know, he's had his reputation and some people don't like him because of it. Um, where, Probably just as many players go out, and but they're not as good, and it doesn't get talked about, and or they played in the '80s and never really got reported. So you have this player like Jordan, who basically becomes the biggest endorsement deal right from his rookie year, launches his Air, uh, Air Jordan brand. He's into McDonald's, he's into Coke, he's into Gatorade, Coca-Cola, I should say. We don't know about <laughs> the other one. <laughs> he at least uh, wasn't initially. He at least wasn't initially, but yeah, he's got all these endorsement deals and for the most part, very handsome guy and everybody loved him. My mom loved him. Everybody loved him. <laughs> and and then you just build this guy up, build this guy up. And at some point, that's when people start looking for, you know, chinks in the armor, as they say, what, what is wrong with this guy? This guy can't be as perfect. And uh, so they go into some of that and then just how much pressure there is on him to do all the interviews and be on all the time where you just have to interview after interview after, you know, press. Oh, I just, you know, he talks about, you know, people want to be like Mike, but it's really not as much fun as you think it would be. Like I just watched the, uh, 
Andre the Giant documentary again, which mm-hmm. everybody should if they haven't seen it, and just talks about how impossible it was for for a guy to go out in public, right? And same thing with Jordan. I mean, he's not overly tall for a basketball player, but he's still six six. You go anywhere and you're gonna stick out and once people know it's Michael Jordan, then you're gonna have people coming from all over trying to get your autograph, trying to get a picture. And how do you how do you deal with never being able to just relax? Do you think that this documentary, this process for Michael Jordan is therapeutic for him? Because it feels like he's finally at a place in his life where he's willing to pull back the curtain and say, hey, guys, this is what I feel about this, 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 this. And I'm done caring about the rest of it. I mean, I know that when before we started it, apparently it came out that he was concerned initially about what people might think. I don't get that vibe from him. And maybe it's this like the four fingers of scotch that are helping him out. Yeah. To be a little bit more honest, but I get the vibe where he's just like, this is how I feel. And it's almost like a confession for him, a confession booth of, right. I can finally get this off my chest. Yeah. And, he, and these are the type of interviews that he just is never given. Right. Where he, and I, I, I've been meaning to ask, do you know, are they playing it? Are they, they must be bleeping the swears out in the States. Cause it's on ESPN. I don't think they're playing. Uh, I actually think they are. I think they agreed to, ESPN wow. said they are going to air it uh, with with the swears because I just think that adds so much where you're, you're just seeing that raw emotion and they're again not being that you know super clean professional athlete who can't swear or do anything like that. Um, so I, I'm glad that they I'm glad that they are I'm glad little kids get to see Jordan saying the f bomb. <laughs> no, I mean that's if that's um, who he is, that's what you want, right? This documentary well, should be exactly who he is because that's what it's supposed to be i don't want to come out for this documentary and go i wonder what he really felt or thought or said i want to know who michael jordan was the good the bad the ugly and make my determination from there right and that's where i'm really hoping they i think you can you're seeing all these timelines are going to kind of merge into why does he quit the first time and why does he quit the second time um and then the when we were talking last episode about how is it going to work with you know, how much story they have left to tell Greg, but they, that 92 season was quickly over and done with. It was like, man, they made the finals again and they won. Yeah. They, <laughs> so, they moved on, right? They told us about the practice. They told us about Ku coach and then they beat Ku coach and made the finals and we're done. Yeah. We're moving on to the next yeah. thing. Uh, one thing about this Jordan persona thing I want to get into is, politics celebrities and politics so tell the story about this harvey gant he's a black uh, i think he's a democrat running for senator or governor in a country and his mom his mom supports him there's a lot of of, of black people supporting this this movement for harvey gant and jordan's mother asked him to endorse harvey gant thinking that if he did this would help move the needle and hopefully get him elected over what appears to be a guy who had really traditional old school, I'm going to call them straight up racist values in his competitor. And Jordan comes out and says, I wasn't willing to do that. That wasn't what I was there for. I gave him some money, but I, I I didn't endorse him in any way because he was more focused on his job and basketball. And I look at that now, Ricky, and I go, Hmm, what? Like, Am I okay with that? I mean, obviously, it doesn't matter what I think. Right? Jordan did what he wants to do, and I'm sure he wouldn't change anything. 
But you see people, and they use the example of Muhammad Ali, how Muhammad Ali went political and started to fight for things outside of his sport. And now he's this, this figure that actually transcends sport. You right. do not get that with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is, I'm going to call him the greatest basketball player of all time, but he's nothing more than a basketball player. And we're learning here that he chose that. Yeah, and the, and the infamous quote is, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too. And and to me, it seems like he, he his story, his side of that is, you know, he's just kind of joking around on the bus. as you know, hey, why aren't you getting involved in politics? Why aren't you supporting the Democrat? Oh, well, Republicans buy sneakers too. And he's just, he doesn't care enough to, you know, really stick his neck out. Because he doesn't, like he says, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he really stands for he's you know he's also he's an african-american i'm african-american i that doesn't mean i need to support him um it kind of reminds me of the the oj simpson where you know he same thing he didn't really get in politics he usually was hanging out with white people and there's backlash from the african-american community from him and he he kind of says like he never really thought of himself as black he just thought of himself as successful and Mm -hmm. and rich more than anything so he would hang out with other rich people who just happened to be white and didn't have a lot of african-american friends so you can kind of see that with jordan where he's saying you know i'm having this good life i have all this money coming in from my sponsorship sponsorship deals and i don't really care about politics right now he kind of says well maybe i should but i don't i'm here to play basketball and i'm going to do my best job i can as being a basketball player in your opinion, looking at that story arc of Jordan saying, you know what, I'm not going to wage into this. Did he miss out or did he make the right choice in your mind? I would say he probably made the right choice for him. He doesn't seem like he's a political guy. Someone like Muhammad Ali was super political. Look like, um, what's his name in the NFL? Kaepernick super into politics made his political stand and he's 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 paying the price right now on his you know professional playing career but he's going to be a name that people remember for a long time um there's just some people are involved in politics and some people aren't and i think jordan is a guy who is fine to stay out of it for the most part i think i'm curious as to what would have happened if he would have went more political because that is a big platform especially back in that day with everything focused on traditional media But I do want to say this because Taylor Swift, this is similar in the sense that she was and still is a massive celebrity. And her entire career for about 10 or 15 years, I think, it might be a bit long, she would not get political. She would not make any political statements because she said, that's not my realm, not my realm, not my realm. I'm not going to do it. And then, of course, Donald Trump comes along and she foregoes that and says, no, I'm going to wage into political debates and discussions now and does – and nothing changes. And this right. is the kind of vibe I get from a lot of things nowadays when it comes to celebrities is that people overestimate the power of celebrity influence. I can remember well, it was Barack Obama and obviously it worked, but there was a lot of celebrities getting behind Barack Obama saying vote for Barack, vote for Barack. From what I can tell, none of these campaigns seem to really work other than getting people excited. But when push comes to shove, does it actually make a difference on vote day? I'm not sure it does. So I look at that and go, OK, Jordan. You could have had an effect, but you probably would not have had the effect that we think you would have based on 
okay, you're a worldwide phenomenon. You're going to swing this election. Like, I'm not sure that that could have happened. So I like what you said. It worked out for the way Jordan wanted it. If he didn't want that platform, then then he's cool with not having it. Hey, they get a, they get a Democrat in the White House for the next eight years. And then, you know, maybe uh, maybe without Michael Jordan getting all these people to love basketball, they don't vote in a basketball-loving president in 2008, and there's no Barack Obama. Hey, maybe yeah. that happened. Well, maybe, there's- yeah, and there's lots of – you, you can't actually even take away what we don't know about Jordan, right, which is who has he been talking to behind the scenes? What has he been donating to? Like all that sort of stuff. So right. I'm not here to throw stones. I'm just here to ask questions. So this episode ends off with – we're moving into we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs but it kind of describes the phenomenon around this being jordan's last season and it becoming more and more aware of it being his last season there's a a game that gets played in the georgia dome with sixty two thousand people watching a basketball game like that's like a college final watching michael jordan people line up for tickets season tickets are sold out like it's a bizarre phenomenon on two angles one I don't think I've seen a goodbye tour like that before. I mean, Kobe had his goodbye tour. Vince Carter's had like seven. Just and... in Toronto, though. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it, it, it doesn't have this, the size or the scope of it. Maybe you'll see at some point if, if Tom Brady announces it. But it's just, it felt weird. And also the fact, when's the last time that you lined up to get tickets for anything? Um... I don't know if I've ever lined up for tickets. Right. I mean, I lined up to get into a movie theater for Lord of the Rings, the first one, four hours ahead of time. But this idea of like standing in line to get tickets nowadays, our world is just online Ticketmaster, And that's, yeah, it's kind of a lost tradition and I'm not saying I miss it, but I do kind of miss the idea, the nostalgia of spending overnight in line to try and get tickets. But what do you make of the insanity, Ricky, of, of everyone trying to get tickets and scalp tickets. And it, it looks like Jordan's giving away gold bars when he's handing right. tickets to players. I just, I have no memory of that Georgia dome game, but that's ins- like, like you said, that's just a regular season game. It wasn't anything special other than it was the last time Jordan was scheduled to play in Atlanta. And just the massive amount of people that showed up for that is amazing. And, and it's, it seemed like they were saying, like the tickets for that game went on sale that morning. Like you were like, had to get in line and you got went got the tickets that morning. It wasn't like you were ready for the game for two months. It was bang, here we're doing this. Um, and just unbelievable to see that impact, not even in Chicago. Like it's in a whole other city, a whole other part of the country. And just speaks to the ginormous effect Michael Jordan had across the league. I cannot wait. So what I haven't peaked. What can we expect in episode six? Oh, I get to see my boy, Charles Barkley. I can't wait. Can't wait for you to see. Cause you know, Chuck's, you know, Chuck from, you know, being the NBA announcer and kind of so the- good. I actually want to get him on our show. It's one of my goals, him and Jack. So together you know, or one at a time, you know, him as kind of overweight, super funny. You know, he gets a little heated in some debates, especially he was making fun of, of Shaq or Shaq's making fun of how he didn't win a championship, but you're going to get to see Charles Barkley in his prime. One of my favorite players, uh, just the, the, what did he used to call himself? The, 
mound round of rebound or something like that. Like just he uh, he's a, he's a treat to watch. And again, another series that I remember vividly that that Suns team had these amazing uniforms, and you have Charles and Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson and just some legendary legendary players for people of my of my generation. So you're gonna get kind of get that, and then we're getting. We've got to be close to the end of the 98 season and uh, possibly into some of the playoffs. Dun, dun, dun. I can't wait because Charles Barkley, to me, was a household name in this time, but all I knew was that he was good. I didn't know that he never won a championship. I didn't know anything about him, and now I obviously have fallen in love with how he conducts himself and, of course, his golf swing. Ricky, oh, episode five <laughs> is in the books. Let's do it again soon. How about Thursday? Sounds good to me, Greg.